Mindfulness Mode, 249. There's another option. You can be cool, sexy, and fun and not drink alcohol. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited about today's guest, and uh, you will be too when you hear everything he's done and uh, the, the way he's changing things for other people and making life better. Today, I have with me Andy Ramage. Andy, how are you? I am tip top, ready to go over in, well, it's sort of sunny England at the moment for once. We've had a bit of a terrible summer, but today's not too bad. Well, that's good. And so are you in mindfulness mode today, Andy? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm nice. I'm at home. I'm chilled. I'm relaxed. I'm, I'm very mindful. That's great. And let me share a little bit about you. Andy Ramage is the co-founder of Alpha Energy, one of the largest independent commodities brokerages in the world. He is also co-creator of One Year No Beer also known as OYNB. This is an alcohol-free challenge you can embrace for 30 days, 90 days, and even a year. Eliminating alcohol from his life caused him to lose 42 pounds and cut his body fat from, get this, from 28% down to 10%. Andy is totally passionate about being fit and healthy. He meditates, he exercises daily, and he studied habit change in order to succeed at all these amazing goals. And, oh, did I mention he's also a master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming, that's NLP, and he's studying for his master's degree in positive psychology. So is there anything you don't do, Andy? <laughs> you know what you missed off there? I'm a mindfulness-based awareness coach. There you go. That completes the set. That does complete the set. <laughs> so, wow, it's great to have you with us. And I'm really excited to talk about your initiative, One Year No Beer. So how did you get to the point where you decided to co-found this? Um, well, I think if I go back to the start of my story, I, I started out life as a professional athlete um, right. until my early 20s. Unfortunately, I was injured, like it happens to, to lots of uh, professional athletes. I fell into the city, into the broken world, and that was the license mm. um, to go out and party hard and socialize and entertain and all those things. I had the magic corporate card that I still have today, essentially, that allows you to, to do what you want in, in terms of enter, entertainment, very much so. So um, I lived this very larger-than-life type of character, really, first in the bar, last out. Um, and don't misunderstand me, I had a fantastic time along the way. and. Mm -hmm. Probably a few years ago, about four years ago, I just reached that point where I sort of started to evaluate my life. I had young children, was sort of in my late 30s. And I thought, you know, I'm actually a six out of 10 in, in terms of my happiness, as it mm. were, when really I should be an eight or a nine. I've, you know, I've got all the, all the obvious trappings of success and lovely family and job and all these things. But mm -hmm. why wasn't I quite, uh, you know, an eight out of 10? And it was on that reflection that I discovered actually that it was alcohol that was holding me back from being the best potential version of myself. And to be clear, there was no problem. There was none of that. Um, clearly, it played a big part in my, in my life, but um, it wasn't to the point that I had to see anyone professionally. I just wanted to take a break and change my habits around alcohol. And when I tried to do it, I found it so difficult because, you know, the world that I, you know, 
living is very much all about being social. I was that guy. It's how I entertained. It's how I did business. And you try and switch that off. I mean, where I'm in the UK, if you walk into the average city bar and you announce that you're not drinking for the night, it's just not acceptable. Right. You know, it's it's sad, but it's true. And, and, and do you know what? That's the case in so many places the world over, in so many industries the world over, in so many social circles the world over. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. And that's what I'm all about, trying to change that. So when I decided I was going to stop, it was so difficult. My rubber arm would be twisted constantly. Mm. You know, I'd bump into clients or friends who would say, have a drink. Come on, what are you talking about? You you know, you've got to have a drink with me. And of course, I'd end up having a drink. Mm-hmm. And this this went on for a period of months to the point that I was getting really frustrated and, and even starting to worry myself. Why couldn't I stop this thing? Why am I, you know, am I, I constantly influenced by other people? And I realized actually by studying the psychology NLP and going back to university, that actually I was just behaving perfectly normal for someone who had been conditioned for all of these years to drink. Um, and this is where mindfulness starts to come into it as well, because I was just running on autopilot. It's what I did. It was how I celebrated, commiserated. It's how I had fun. You know, I fell in love with my wife because she drank pints of lager. That's the mm. sort of this world that I was in. So I just thought to myself, there's got to be a different way. And anyway, inspired. I started to learn all these different techniques and I started to take a break. I did two weeks, slipped up, everyone laughed. I did three weeks, slipped up, everyone laughed as they do. Mm-hmm. I got to a month, this sort of month without alcohol in my life and everything started to change because I got that clarity back. You know, I started drinking in my teens like so many people do and I'd never really taken a serious break from alcohol, you know, a week or two at max. And here I was four weeks into it and I felt great. Not just good, I felt actually great. You know, my eyes were bright, my energy was coming back, my motivation was back. I was making more phone calls, so at work and producing even more business, which was a huge myth that I was told consistently within our industry. If mm-hmm. if you don't drink or entertain, you're finished. You know, you're not going to do business anymore in the brokerage world, which is complete rubbish, um, by the way. But it took me to be bold enough to take on this challenge to actually work that out. So. Four weeks became six, became two months, became three months. And that is when, you know, my life took a turn that, that, that you know, I'm still on this, this wonderful roller coaster right now because, as mentioned, I lost a lot of weight. I lost yeah. 42 pounds during that time. Body fat dropped down to below 10%. Yeah, that's amazing in itself. Yeah, and the reason that was happening, this is why I'm so excited about it, it wasn't just because I dropped the calories from alcohol. What it was is very much that alcohol seems to be this key stone habit that when you get on top of it, it unlocks everything else. So all of a sudden I could exercise again because I wasn't hung over and tired and lethargic Mm -hmm. from a long lunch or a night out. So my exercise routines were consistent and they improved. My diet changed completely. I was just going to say, did you change your diet? Did changing your diet was a result of changing the alcohol input? hundred percent, hundred percent. All of the positive change that happened in my life at that time was triggered by taking a break from alcohol because I could feel what was nourishing me with energy when, when I'd eat a big steak, for example, versus Mm -hmm. eating, you know, some quinoa and a salad. And I started to notice the difference because before I always would write off my feelings, my emotions, my tiredness and lethargy to the, you know, the fog of, of, of alcohol, which was in my life very much, you know, on, on most days, especially during the week at work. So I could notice the difference. So then, I, you know, I changed from this, you know, meat eating salad dodger to a pretty much a vegetarian, which is now vegan style diet. Mm-hmm. So completely transformed diet, transformed my exercise routines. 
And, and in doing so, I started to smash all these myths as well around alcohol. I believed, like so many people, that you need alcohol to have fun. You needed alcohol to be successful in business. Mm-hmm. You needed it to make friends. Rubbish. All of it. I'd just forgotten what it was like to be alcohol-free again. And I'd forgotten how great it felt to have my motivation, my energy back. And my business was booming. And my relationships at home with my wife and my children were the best they'd ever been. So by the end of this 90 days, I was like, this is amazing. I'm well, I was just going to ask, how did your wife feel about this? Did she give up alcohol too? How did that work? No, I mean, no. And she still drinks to this day a lot less, admittedly. But no, mm-hmm. I've never, you know, and our approach, you'll see this and my approach very much. It's never about pointing fingers or telling anyone what to do or, or you know, telling people off. It's about, look, this is what I'm doing. I'm getting all these amazing results come and check it out with me. Just, you know, try it for yourself. So she does still drink, but she loves it. She loves having a husband that comes home on time, that works hard, that's a great father to their children, that's motivated, that's energized of a weekend. Because, you know, a lot of my weekends were lost to just complete tiredness, Mm -hmm. where I was just getting over the week of carnage, whether that be long lunches and nights out and, and whatnot. So, And so how do you entertain your clients now? How has that changed? It's changing in a lot of ways. I still do all the classic entertainment, go out to lunch all the time, go out to dinners all the time. Sure. I just don't drink. That took me a long while to to perfect that art because it's very difficult, especially when you've got a reputation as that guy. Yes. You know, and clients expect you to entertain them in a certain way. And that meant very much with me going out and having a few drinks. Um, so, no, I do all the classic entertaining now, but I, I drink alcohol-free lager, for example. Okay. Um, that makes me still feel part of it, makes me feel part of the group, but I'm just skipping the alcohol. But then actually, you know, you've got to get creative with it. So I do things like yoga, which no one would be doing. You know, we'd go to like a Barry's boot camp, for example, with clients. We'd do different things because you had to think a little bit outside the box because you couldn't do the stereotypical, let's just go to a bar and have a few drinks. Right. Um, so yeah, it all started to really change. And what happened was to sort of complete the story in the lead up to one, you know, beer, I bumped into another broker, um, from my old firm and he, he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe the change, you know, in the period of six months at that stage, you know, I'd lost the weight. And as mentioned, my eyes were bright and he knew my business was, was thriving and it inspired him. And this is Ruri Fairbanes, who's now the co-founder of One You Know Beer. So he did the challenge with me. I said, you know, and, and you know, I walked him through it and we spent a lot of time together. Fast forward three months, he looked amazing. He had lost loads of weight. His body fat had dropped. Wow. His business was booming. And we were like, this is insane. Why did we not come across this years ago? Why is everyone telling us we need to do this thing? Why is all the marketing and all the rubbish that goes on around us you know, pushing us in this direction when actually the truth is you can have this amazing, vibrant lifestyle without alcohol. And that So was, is it that about was, money? Is that why it's being pushed on us the way it is? Well, I think so. I mean, look, you know, I've got to get some stats on this because I was only asked this only yesterday, but I, I would assume they spend millions, if not hundreds and hundreds of millions every year advertising alcohol. And if you think about it, how much is spent on advertising not drinking alcohol or a different lifestyle? <laughs> yes. Zero. Or maybe it's in the thousands, and we—it's probably probably part of that. And on that subject, that's very much a dream of ours to try and create one, you know, beer as a challenge, like a tough mudder or a triathlon. And people come along and they pay to take part of that challenge. And all we want to do with that money, it gives us access to start pushing the other way. Hopefully, we can start advertising to people to say, actually, there's another option. You can be cool, sexy, and fun, and not drink alcohol. And that's very much what we're trying to do with this initiative. 
All right. And so you're, you're writing a book as well, aren't you? Yes, yeah, so the book's done. We, we, we've got a uh, publisher is Pan Macmillan, which uh, you know one of the biggest publishers in the world. Uh, an imprint of theirs called Bluebird, who are the hottest publisher in town at the moment because they do all the Joe Wicks Leaning Fifteen books, um, and the book's going to be out on the twenty eighth of December. Um, and the book's fantastic, and the reason it is because it's bright, it's it's glossy, it's in the style almost like a cookbook if you can imagine it's a 28 day alcohol free challenge that's the title but it's it's totally in the face of the classic doom and gloom memoirs about alcohol and everyone you know you're almost embarrassed to be seen reading a book about alcohol because you're worried someone will think you'll have a problem this is the opposite this is in your face this is just a challenge this is a fun vibrant stigma free thing to do that hopefully that comes across in the book so we're so uh, we're really super pleased with it it looks fantastic so yeah, that's coming out at the end of the year. That's great. So this is really going to to change so many people's views. I want to go back to when you were an athlete. What was your sport, Andy? Um, I was a football, so uh, soccer. You were, yeah. Okay, uh, so so I imagine alcohol was a big part of celebrating wins and and uh, mourning your losses and all of that kind of thing. Is that right? Oh, yeah, any excuse. You know, I mean, again, I was very dedicated to my football. Alcohol was always part of that because, you know, after the game on a Saturday, that's what we did. We all went out and we we celebrated, you know, win, lose or draw, drink some more type of mentality. And that's, you know, that's that culture, I, I guess. Um, did it? Did, did that help my sporting career? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, you know, it, it was it was something that I always found quite difficult. Um, in many ways, trying to manage that because then on the Sunday you'd feel awful and then maybe we'd go out again yeah. on, a, on a Sunday lunchtime. But then, you know, it was very much the case of, look, we're 21, we can just run this off. Sure. Um, you know, but it's, it's a huge part of my culture. So, yeah, that definitely followed me through into the broken world. And then I was let loose because I didn't have training or, or, or you know, uh, things to meet. So I could just I could just do as I wish. And then, you know, it got to the point where, again, I, I just thought alcohol was holding me back. There was no problem. I just right. knew it was preventing me being my best. So if you went back to that, if we could just go back to that time when you were a young teenager, you were you were into sports and you had all your friends, how would it feel to just say to them, no, I don't drink? Would you have a lot of fear, do you think, being you know the person that said that while everybody else was partying and drinking and having fun? Oh, completely, you know, and, and it's always difficult because I'm now completely on the other side of the fence and I'm giving people in, in, in that position advice. But I think back then, this is what we're trying to create. There was no role models. There was no yes. one for me to look up to and think, yeah, that guy's super successful. He's super fit. He's super healthful, healthy and he doesn't drink. I couldn't. There was no, there was no one there. And even really today, there's very few role models i mean it's yes. 20 years later you know i look around now when i and this is a big part of the reason we set up one you know beer because when i wanted to stop that was only three and a half years ago i thought i'd look around to for inspiration and i could barely find any very little yes there was not there was the classic aa rock bottom style amazing people that had you know hit that type of bottom and turned their life around which was wonderful but that wasn't for me that wasn't what i was looking for and then apart from that, there, there just wasn't a lot. I don't even, didn't even know what sporting sort of heroes didn't drink alcohol because people don't talk about it. And that's a huge part of one, you know, beer. We said, let's just create our own role models and let's find out who these people are and celebrate the fact that they're alcohol free so that the young guy who meets his friends in the bar 
as a 17-year-old can say, I don't drink because actually this sporting star doesn't drink and I want to be like him or this actor or, or whoever it is, this CEO, this entrepreneur, these guys don't drink because they want to be the best they can. Therefore, I'm not going to drink. Right. That makes perfect sense. Well, you you studied habit. What did you learn about habit that can help us when, you know, maybe you're a person who does drink all the time and you really do genuinely want to change, but you've got this habit formed and wow, it is tough to change it. What do you do? Yeah, it's a really great question. We have a saying that I like. It's, it's, it's that habits don't need telling off. They need replacing. Right. So the really quick and easy thing to do is this. Most people, for example, when you really start to analyze a habit, it's made up of a few pieces. There's the trigger. Yeah. There's the routine. And there's the reward. And there's the craving that drives the habit loop. And what mm-hmm. actually, when you start to analyze these habits, you often find that what you're craving is something completely different than what the actual alcohol gives you. For example, you might really enjoy going out on a Friday night, not because you're drinking lots of alcohol, because actually it's a fantastic time to be social with your friends and to relax and to enjoy you know, the weekend ahead rather than the actual effects of alcohol itself. So what we say to people is we try and break this down. We break it down into your trigger, routine, and your reward. So in this case, the trigger might be 6 o'clock on a Friday, everyone's going for a drink the routine stereotypically would be to drink alcohol and the reward is that you're being social you're with your friends and you're relaxing for the weekend ahead so a really really a basic simple level replace the routine that's all you do you keep the trigger keep the reward replace the routine so in this case you might just drink non-alcoholic beers i mean it's that simple you can actually just switch out the alcoholic beer or give you something to hold you'll feel part of the group you'll still get that reward you crave but you, you, you'll skip all the alcohol. And can you get non-alcoholic beer at most bars? Yeah, almost everywhere now. I mean, again, the selection is getting better and better. In fact, AB, uh, AB InBev, the world's largest, um, not a brewer as such, but they own about 5,000 beer brands. They're huge in the States, multi-billion dollar company. Okay. By 2020, they want, this is massive, 20% of their total sales to be non-alcoholic beers that is massive it's massive the, the, the change is here that the, the big brewers the big beer companies they've all worked it out unlike smoking there was no alternative but with alcohol there is because they can still make these lovely tasting beers and just take the alcohol out so it's a huge industry and actually in the beer industry the only part of the industry that's going up is the non-alcoholic side right. of the, of I the did industry not know yeah. that yeah, so there's this huge shift happening. Millennials are drinking less. Peak booze was in 2004. So it's well behind us now. So the whole, you know, the tipping point is here when people are working this out. So yes, there's lots of options available now. Seedlip, who we know really well, is the world's first non-alcoholic gin, which is magnificent. So yeah, it, it's great. You're getting these options out there now. So you can still be social. You can still have the fun. You just skip the alcohol. That really is great. I didn't know there were so many options like that. Wow. And so, you know, entering into the whole uh, topic of mindfulness, do you feel you can be more mindful when you don't have alcohol as part of your life? Oh, definitely for me, because not only just in the moment, but the the after effects, you know, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, getting absolutely wasted and then feeling terrible the next day, which right. in itself is, is not a good thing. But look, we look at the science all the time. Even a couple of drinks will affect your sleep. 
And there is so much science, so much data behind poor sleep on your performance, on your concentration, on your um, mental well-being. So for me, when alcohol was involved, I looked into mindfulness, ironically, before I stopped drinking. But I couldn't get into it because I always felt slightly unnerved, slightly anxious. I couldn't really sit still, as, as almost comical as that is. I just couldn't get it to work for me. And it wasn't until I stopped drinking that I had that time, that clarity of mind to actually sit still and understand what mindfulness was. Right. Well, I know some people feel like they're not going to be accepted unless they sort of follow the crowd. And, you know, I've been working in the field of bullying prevention for so long, and I know that it can be really challenging if, you know, you feel that you're not going to be accepted. Do you have a story on bullying and how mindfulness maybe would have changed a situation? Either maybe it's a, a story that is about you or someone else. Do you have a story you can share with us? Yeah, I'm just trying to think on a story. I, mine was really, uh, when I was thinking about this the question, mine was more as a as a sports player, as a sports star athlete, right. really, how mindfulness would, would, would have helped me in that sense. Um, and it was very much, when you're playing football at that level, especially as a young age, at 16, it is super tough. So yeah. you're not being, there was not, an element of bullying as such, but it is so cutthroat in the sense that every bad pass, every bad tackle, I think is almost overwhelming to you as a young man because your life is riding on this thing. You know, you, you, you're dreaming of becoming this athlete, you're dreaming of becoming a professional in, in your field. And I remember clearly around that 15, 16, you know, I was almost crippled with performance anxiety in, in so many ways because every time I would make a mistake, on the pitch, for example, it would haunt me for the next 15 minutes whilst the game was going on. And this is this is where mindfulness for me is so beautiful and so powerful that if I'd had the ability to just let that go and to actually come back to the moment and concentrate on what I was doing, I, I know I would have been a, be a better professional and a better player um, because I would have been able to let that error go because it's the classic case, when you're worrying about that problem that's just passed, you're not using all your mental capacity. And guess what? You probably make another problem. Yeah, and you sure. make another bad pass or you make another bad tackle. And all of a sudden you've snowballed. You've gone from nowhere to this negative spiral. Whereas if you can let it go and maybe you make a great pass, suddenly your spiral goes upwards. So I had no idea about mindfulness at that stage in my life. Again, not so much a bullying story, but just a story that I know in my younger days that would have been so, so helpful to me to, to have known that I can just let these things go. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to shift gears here for a minute, Andy, and I want to uh, talk about five quick answer questions. The first one is this. this these will just be really short 30-second answers. Who's one person who has influenced your mindfulness? I think the, 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 the guy really that, that got me into this was Andy Puddicombe, uh, who we all, uh, lots of people, I guess, know from the Headspace um, his book, which which I read, the original book, Headspace, it just allowed me to, to sort of work my way into mindfulness because I couldn't quite get my head around it. I thought it was all about sitting still and not doing anything and all those classic mistakes that people make. So Andy Puddicombe was, was a huge influence on right, my he mindfulness. It's a different picture, yeah. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? I'm so much calmer. My, my temper, you know, I was a classic redhead, um, in many ways, um, yeah. you know, and that might, you know, that was part of my character makeup in the way I played sport. I wanted to win, you know, I had that super passionate 
um, energy around me. But um, yeah, it's it's helped me quell that, and I'm a much calmer person to be around. So Andy, tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. It's everything. You know, that's that is my anchor. That's what I I go to. I mean, I, I've experimented with every type of mindfulness you, you can think of, but really my, my, my practice is always just on the breath. Right. Um, that's my anchor. So if you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that book be? Um, How to Find Peace in a Frantic World by uh, Professor Mark Williams. Okay. And can you share an app which helps you or maybe helps other people you know to become more mindful? Yeah, Headspace it has to be for me. I, I, I still use Headspace now. I love it. Yeah, it's great. It really is. Well, Andy, it's been fantastic talking with you. And, you know, I look forward to a world where we're more aware of what's going on. More people are sober more of the time because you're right. It's glorified. It's it's painted as, you know, the, the picture is what that's what you do. You, you know, you go out there, you have a few drinks with friends. That's how you celebrate. And I think it's time for a change. And I think it's just great that you've put together this book and a challenge and, and everything else. How can we learn more about what you're doing with this and how can we get the book? Share that with Mindful Tribe, will you, Andy? Yeah, so I mean, the, the main thing you can do is head to oneyouknowbeer.com and when you get there, it'll, it'll be self-explanatory. You can take a challenge, which is a 28-day challenge now, a 90-day challenge or the 365. Um, we're on Facebook. We've got a free group now on Facebook. If you search for One You Know Beer, you can just come in and experience us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram, One You Know Beer. I'm on LinkedIn as well, Andy Ramage. You can search for me on LinkedIn. But yeah, all those social platforms, you can find us. Search One You Know Beer, you'll uh, stray across us. Yeah, one year, no beer. I'll put all of these links into the show notes. And it's been just great talking with you, Andy. And I, I really look forward to reading the book when it comes out. So thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Bruce. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yes, it has. Bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.